the NFL's decision to fine Rams cornerback Nikel Roby Coleman over $26,000 for his helmet-to-helmet hit on Tommy Lee Lewis last weekend in New Orleans that was not called a pass interference penalty costing the Saints a Super Bowl berth is an absolute slap in our faces. The NFL admitted to head coach Sean Payton in a private phone conference call that they blew the call and got it wrong. Yet, Commissioner Roger Goodell has yet to publicly come out and address this situation. The Saints were robbed of a chance to go to the Super Bowl, and instead, the Rams won the game in overtime. Credit to them, yes, but the commissioner is supposed to be held in the highest regard, and he needs to come out and address this and make an announcement on how we're going to get better for the future so that a play that does not get called doesn't cost another team a Super Bowl berth in the future. Come on, Roger. Step up and do your damn job. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. It is Saturday, January 26th. 2019. Just want to quickly apologize. I was not able to get the episode done last night. It is my sister's birthday today. So shout out to her. But um, yeah, we had some family over, went out to dinner, just it didn't work out. So I'm back today, even better and stronger and ready to talk some sports. Crazy weekend sports. I mean, crazy. We had the two overtime games in the conference championships to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, wow, the missed call in New Orleans that seemingly was heard around the world that people are still talking about. The NFL continues to make a mockery of this sport. Roger Goodell is a joke. Let me tell you that. And I know you heard me in the intro just a minute ago talking about that missed P.I. call. But yet, once again, the Patriots are in the Super Bowl. This time, they will face off against the Rams. We had a couple of unbeatens go down in college basketball last weekend. We have the, the streak of James Harden that just continues. The man continues to score 30 points, and he continues to do it at an unbelievable rate. 22 straight games now. I'll get into that and a whole lot more. But first, we start with the NBA and Wendell Carter Jr., he is has been ruled out for 8 to 12 weeks with a thumb injury. He possibly could be out longer or miss the rest of the season as the Bulls are in no rush to bring him back considering they are at the bottom of the barrel in the Eastern Conference, one of the worst teams there. So there's really no, no reason to try to rush him back or, or, or risk their rookie getting hurt any further. He is being recommended surgery. So we'll see. Only 19 years old, obviously. So um, again, no no reason to rush him back there. And of course, uh, we'll talk about, I missed this on Friday's episode, had a lot going on there. So I did kind of miss this. I was a little mad at myself, but obviously, you know by now that DeMarcus Cousins made his season debut with the Golden State Warriors and they're playing really nice, really, really good basketball. So I have a, I have a quick audio clip here of uh, Boogie Cousins uh, scoring his first basket for the Warriors this season. And I believe it was the first points of the game, actually. So take a quick listen to this pretty cool moment for Boogie. Pick and roll with KD. Drops it to Cousins. And there's his first Warrior basket. 
So yeah, there you have it. Boogie Cousins, he's been a nice addition for them at the center position. And the Warriors, they're looking really, really good. More of that to come in a minute. Next up, another injury news. Anthony Davis He is going to miss between one and two weeks with a sprained finger. He did get some good news uh, earlier in the week. He might just miss one week, and he could be back next week, actually. So, I mean, it is a big loss for the Pelicans. Uh, Anthony Davis is, in fact, the, or he was, last time I checked this earlier in the week, number one fantasy player in the NBA for those of you that play fantasy basketball. So it's a big loss for the Pelicans, but even bigger loss for fantasy owners. And surprisingly, uh, well, I don't want to get into it too much or reveal it, but Anthony Davis was not selected as a starter for the NBA All-Star Game, which is quite quite shocking, quite surprising, but um, I'll reveal those shortly. And then uh, some more injury news, sort of. Markel Fultz has returned to Philly to continue his rehab. He obviously, we know he was diagnosed with that thoracic outlet syndrome in November, and he he so he had been rehabbing this in California, uh, where he's where he's from. So he's been out there away from the team, just getting healthy out of the spotlight. But now he's back with the Sixers, and he's going to be rehabbing and working out at their facilities now being overseen by their team doctors and such but there is in fact no timetable for his return so we wait and see what ha- what what will come of that and then of course god this feels like uh it was a year ago but uh just last saturday we had some good games and that included the rock uh not the rock excuse me the oklahoma city thunder against those 76ers and this one came down to the wire russell westbrook fouled out late so paul george pg13 had to step up really did a good job down the stretch including this pretty much dagger four-point play take a listen you got to think Paul George has to get a touch at some point, and he does. The three ball quickly got it oh, and one. Why, George? Paul on the job. Yeah, so he hits that four point play, and Oklahoma City goes on to win one seventeen to one fifteen. Interesting bit of. Uh, news or takeaway from this game is that Russell Westbrook, he went on a fast break in, I want to say maybe the third, late in the third or the fourth quarter. And he kind of deked out Joel Embiid who, who ran him down and he slowed down. And then Joel Embiid fell on top of him. Essentially, it was a hard foul, but um, it wasn't anything. I didn't think crazy. I was watching it live. But then uh, Russell Westbrook stayed down for a couple seconds, and then he immediately jumped up, and he had to be restrained. He tried to go after Joel Embiid, and these two have a bit of history from, uh, I believe, either late last year or early this year, um, and, and that beef seemingly has spilled over to this game. But he was Westbrook was asked after the game about his relationship with Embiid. Here it is. Embiid foul late, was that just him landing yeah, on you? Yeah. What was your objection to it? Uh, I don't think he just landed on me. He had a little extra to it. Oh, man. You know what I'm saying? But it's okay. You guys are cool? Fuck no. <laughs> and yes, I, I apologize um, for the cursing there, but that was an unfiltered post-game at his locker. Russell Westbrook right there so yeah he him and him and Embiid they're let's just it's easy to say that they won't be friends anytime soon and then um 
We've got to talk about the Rockets and Carmelo Anthony for a quick second. This was a bit of big breaking news earlier in the week. This all happened on Monday. The Rockets traded Carmelo Anthony and Cash to the Chicago Bulls. A little perplexing. I didn't expect that Melo would be playing for the Bulls, which he won't be. But they are going to either try to either waive him or hold on to him until the trade deadline. There's really no indication as to what they're going to do right now. They could also possibly, it is a possibility that the Bulls include him in a one-for-one trade, but they cannot this is important. They cannot aggregate his contract in another deal. So as of right now, I believe Mello is on the on the Bulls, but he nothing has come of this so far. So as soon as that I get word, I will let everybody know. And then my man, easily going to be Rookie of the Year, Luka Doncic. This guy continues. I say guy. He's he's just a kid, but he continues to light up the scoreboard and. I mentioned this a few episodes ago that he came so close to that triple-double, which would have been a new record, and he finally got it, but um, came up just short of that record, unfortunately. So um, he came, that was when, uh, last month in December when he came up just that one rebound shy, uh, he would have had the record, and now finally on Monday he got the triple-double officially, but he missed out on the record to be the youngest ever to record a triple-double by, get get this, just 10 days. So that really sucks for uh, for Doncic, but, you know, he, 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 he'll move on from this, and uh, he's only getting better and better with each and every game, and it's really, it's really fun to watch because he, he is really, really helping out this Mavericks team and, and doing a really nice job, and he's going to be a really good player for many, many years to come. So, I talked about the Rockets just a minute ago, and wouldn't be a sports podcast if I didn't mention what James Harden has been doing this week and for uh, the last month and a half or so. He has now, this is how incredible this streak is, he has entered Wilt Chamberlain territory, ladies and gentlemen. Just let that sink in for a moment. So, on Monday, he continued the streak, got it up to, I believe it was his 20th straight 30-point game. He had 37. It was a blowout loss to Philly, by the way. It really, I mean, the Rockets, all, uh, during this streak, I'd love to know what their overall record is. It's it's over 500, I believe, but man, lately, they're in a lot of tightly contested games and, you know, Harden taking every single shot pretty much it's got to be tough on the other guys late down the stretch in these games when the team when these teams opposing teams finally start to crack down and play a little bit of defense that's when the Rockets seem to struggle but anyway he had 37 in that loss like I said 20th straight 30 plus point game which ties him for Wilt Chamberlain for the fourth longest streak in NBA history and by the way this is how unbelievable Wilt Chamberlain was he has the top three streaks of 30-plus points. It's just unbelievable. And um, I think he did it for a record 65 straight games of 30 or more points, which is just wowzer. And then um, I got to talk about Clay Thompson real quick before I segue this back to James Harden. In fact, you know what? No, I'll pump the brakes on the Clay Thompson thing and get back to James Harden. So he... 
goes after 37. He then goes to MSG to play the Knicks, where he scores a record 61 points, okay, which ties the Madison Square Garden record for an opponent, which he tied. That would be Kobe Bryant, 61. Melo holds the record of 62 overall, but it's just ridiculous. Harden became the first player in NBA history with 23-point attempts and 20-foul shot attempts. And what's really, really incredible about all of this is that Melo has done this all unassisted. Every single point has been unassisted. And last night against the Raptors, they got they squeaked out the two-point win there. He had 35 last night to continue the streak. He now has 22 straight 30-plus point games and 296 unassisted points over his last six games. It is an unheard of statistic. That means that nobody passed him the ball. He has come up the court and shot the ball every single time and either driven, got to the line, made the basket. Nobody has assisted him on a bat. Not a fast break where they outlet the ball to him and he dunks it or or gets the layup or hits the shot. It's absolutely incredible. It is such an obscure stat. It might be the most incredible stat I've ever heard of in my entire life because it really is that incredible. And he has, I think, 85 baskets in a row unassisted, which is more than double the next closest guy, which was Steve Nash at 40-something. So really, really an incredible, incredible feat that he is accomplishing right now, and we'll see how long he can he can keep this streak going. So I said 22 straight 30-plus point games. I think if he wants to catch that third place from Wilt Chamberlain's streak, I think he has to hit 25. I think Wilt had uh, his streak was at 25 or 24. Um, I I could be wrong there, but yeah, just incredible stuff that he's doing. And then, um, all right, get back to this Clay Thompson thing before I forget. But like I said, Boogie Cousins now back with the Warriors, okay? And this team is starting to hit their stride. And I would watch out if I'm some of these other teams in the Western Conference. So here's what Clay Thompson did on Monday night. You know, he just went 10 of 10 to start the game from beyond the arc. 10 straight three-pointers. He would finish 10 of 11. And I uh, 44 points through three quarters. He didn't even play in the fourth quarter. This was absolutely unbelievable. Take a listen to this. Ball knocked out of his hands. Picked up by Thompson. And he hits the three. Three man dead. Now here's Thompson from the other side. And he hits the three. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. Well, that's enough. That's a, okay, oh, I got you. Thompson hits the three. Playoff teams and Thompson fires and hits. You ever wanted to because of his ball handling ability. Here's Thompson for three. Lakers on draft night. The trade was Kuzma and Brooke Lopez. Once again. Once Thompson to score. This is the unselfish play. For three, yes! He was behind the three-point line. Here's Thompson open for three. Yes! He wanted to play tonight, but the Lakers staff decided to wait until at least Thursday to make him available. Guys. All right, thank you, Christian. And Thompson again! He is 10 for 10 from three unbelievable listen everybody knows what Steph Curry can do on this team what Kevin Durant can do etc but Clay Thompson when he gets on these hot streaks I don't know that there's anybody better than him at making a three-pointer 
I mean, he is so fluid. His stroke is so beautiful. It's just incredible, incredible stuff to watch. And for those of you out there that might be, you know, our younger generation kids growing up learning basketball, just know this. It's not always about how many points you score, okay? Yes, everybody wants to fill the stat sheet, but trust me, watch some Clay Thompson. Watch some Steph Curry and shoot around. Watch the way that these guys shoot the ball because I I love I'm a shooter myself. I love to shoot the basketball and I'm it's all about form and it drives me nuts especially when I watch guys in college at the free throw line. When I watch a Rutgers game and I see how bad these guys are at making a foul shot, it's incredible to me. I watch a Zion Williamson who everybody raves about as the number 1 player in the country who's going to be number one and and everybody's trying to tank just so they could get him. The kid cannot hit a foul shot to save his life. He might be able to dunk like Shaquille O'Neal and break the backboard, but what good is that if you can't shoot the basketball? So I just want to let everybody know that's listening out there or that watches basketball, please take the time to practice, practice, practice. I know Allen Iverson never thought practice was much, but if unless you're Allen Iverson, then maybe you can uh, you know, not go to practice. But until then, you have to practice. Practice that form, get that shot down, and just work, 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 because there's nothing better than watching a guy like Clay Thompson who shoots so purely. The ball flicks off of his wrist so beautifully. And Steph Curry, too. It's just, an, it's just I'm privileged to be able to watch it, and I love that because, again, I'm a shooter, and I'm all about – it's all about the form. That's really all it is, and it just – it really bothers me when I watch somebody shoot a knuckleball or there's no rotation on the basketball. It's just frustrating to watch. So these are these are guys that if you want to get better and if you want to have a career in basketball, whether it's high school, college, NBA, whatever it may be, just playing with your friends on the street, either way, watch the Warriors and watch some Klay Thompson because it's really a thing of beauty to watch. Okay, next up, some tragic news for the Indiana Pacers, who were having a very, very good season. Victor Oladipo, their star player, he unfortunately, this is a gruesome, gruesome injury. He tore his quad tendon in his, I believe it was his right knee in a non-contact injury on Wednesday night. It was really nasty, unfortunately, and um, they weren't officially sure what the diagnosis was, but they feared the worst. And now Oladipo is going to, in fact, miss the rest of the season. According to teammates, his spirits are up, which is nice, positive thing for for Oladipo because it's going to be a road to recovery. I believe they're going to hit, well, he's going to need surgery, but they're going to have to go and basically grab that, that, that tendon and base, I, I guess, pull it back down and reattach it. It's just uh, it's it's unfortunate because he was he was having a really really nice season leading the Pacers in scoring at 19.2 points per game had them sitting in third in the Eastern Conference so we'll look to see what happens with the Pacers they're probably not contenders any longer not that I really thought that they were but sitting in third in the conference we'll see how far they slide out of this now and he was gonna be an all-star so tough tough there and then we have Devin Booker, he got fined $25,000 for what ensued on Tuesday night. So if you don't know, on Tuesday, 
he and Gorgie Jang of the Timberwolves really got into it. Both guys got ejected, and then, of course, both guys ran after each other in the tunnel, had to be held back by security. They really wanted to go and, and fight each other, but it looks like the NBA has determined that um, that Booker was the at-fault party here, so that's why he gets hit with the 25K. Fine. And then now I can get back to the all-star starters, which were announced. I'll start with the Western Conference. Actually, excuse me, uh, LeBron James and Giannis Atenacumpo, they were named the captains. Okay, so here's the East starters. Obviously, you've got Giannis. Then you've got Kemba Walker, who's having a phenomenal, phenomenal season. Kyrie Irving, of course, Kawhi Leonard, and Joel Embiid. So that rounds out your Eastern Conference starters. And now you have the West starters. We have LeBron, Steph, KD, James Harden, and Paul George. And like I said earlier, a little surprising that uh, Anthony Davis not a starter the season with the season he's having. It's interesting because um, Paul George, he's really had a resurgence this year, and he's back in favor of many of the fans, it looks like. So that's, that's why he gets on this list. And then, of course, the reserves, if you're looking to find out if any of your, your players from your team made the All-Star game, you will find that out on the 31st. Okay, and then I got to talk about last night. My Nick, uh, my Nets played the Knicks, and it was a close game, tied at halftime for much of the game, but the, uh, the Nets blew it open in the second half, and they ended up winning by 10. It is worth noting, of course, that Spencer Dinwiddie, unfortunately, he did not play last night. Thumb injury, I believe, on Wednesday, or on Wednesday and now... He is electing. He was seeking specialists. Um, he wasn't sure if they weren't sure if he was going to be able to play through this, maybe elect to get surgery on the uh, torn ligaments at the end of the year. But it was announced early today that Dinwiddie is electing to get that thumb surgery on Monday and he's going to be out three to six weeks. The Nets are really having a resurgence. They're six in the sixth spot in the Eastern Conference. They've won, I believe now, uh, seven or eight games at home in a row, and they've now won 19 of their last 26 games. So they're one of the hottest teams in the NBA right now. What Kenny Atkinson has those guys doing is really fun to watch. As a Nets fan, I'm really enjoying it, and I'm loving every second of that Knicks dumpster fire that continues to blow up in in, in the garden. Uh, so anyway, and then finally, a more about the All-Star weekend. That's a couple weeks out here. It was announced. So the All-Star Game is going to be held in Charlotte, North Carolina. Of course, that's where Steph Curry is from. So it was announced as well that both Steph and his brother, Seth Curry, are going to compete in the three-point contest. Obviously, Seth is on the the um, Portland Trailblazers, I believe. So that's cool. And then I know Clay Thompson has won this award. Uh, so I would love to see the three of those guys uh, compete for that three-point contest. Again, I love the three-point contest. It's probably my favorite event at All-Star Weekend. So that looks to be a blast, and that should be fun. Okay, I believe that wraps up our NBA coverage. We will now move along and get to just one tidbit in college basketball. Obviously, last Saturday, there were you had Michigan and Virginia, the only two unbeaten teams in America, and it started with Michigan losing 
to Wisconsin, 64-54. And then Virginia traveled to Duke. The spread on this game was four points, okay? So I thought that Duke would... I knew Duke was winning this game because Virginia... uh, (laughs) Listen, they lost to UMBC, first ever one seed to lose to a 16. Yeah, they're undefeated. They play great defense. But Duke had just lost to Syracuse at home, and this game was at home again. I knew they were not losing. So I took Duke and the points, okay? And let me tell you something. Zion Williamson cost me some money on this game because he missed four key free throws down the stretch. And there was a loose ball at the end of the game, final seconds, and I thought Duke was going to be able to grab it up by four, and I was going to get out of there okay. Actually, now that I think about it, the spread was three and a half, so four is what I needed to win, and they were up four, but they don't get the loose ball. Instead, the Virginia player gets it. He's able to pass it to another to another guy in Virginia, and he shoots a buzzer beater mid-range shot, and it goes in, and they only win by two points. So I didn't even I didn't even win. So I'm a little ticked off at Zion Williamson right now because he could not friggin' make a foul shot to save his life down the stretch. And it was really, really pathetic. And that's the thing that's gonna do in Duke. If they have any chance of winning a national championship, Zion Williamson is gonna have to make his free throws because in a close game down the stretch, you saw what Virginia was doing. They were forcing Zion to get the ball and then fouling him. And if he gets the ball and gets fouled, chances are he's not making them. So anyway, no more undefeated teams in America. And then speaking of Michigan, they almost got a a second straight loss the other day earlier in the week, but they were able to hit a buzzer beater three-point shot, I believe, to win that game against, um, shoot, I want to say Iowa or Iowa State. I'm not quite sure, actually. Um, But anyway. Let's move right along. We're going to go switch things up a bit and uh, talk about some baseball news. Okay, so I know this has been talked about for a long time now, but the MLB is still trying to add a pitch clock this upcoming season to kind of quicken the pace of baseball games. If you don't know, the pace of play is slowing down and these games are lasting nearly four hours and they're losing viewership numbers so the proposal is 18 seconds while nobody is on base so the pitcher would have 18 seconds to deliver each pitch right and then if there's runners on base it goes up to 20 seconds well rob manfred has been pushing this however the mlbpa players association has never been a big fan of the idea. And I don't know that I'm torn. I don't think as a baseball player myself uh, growing up, I don't see the need for a for a pitch clock. I just don't. It's part of the game. If if there's certain pitchers that are going to take longer, then so be it. But um, either way, I really, I guess I don't care. It's going to happen one way or another eventually. So right now they do have this in place in the minor leagues. And so what they do is that if the minor league pitcher does not get the pitch thrown within that 18 to 20 second window, a ball is added to the count for the batter. So that's, I mean, that's kind of interesting. It's a little weird because... You know, it, it, it would, it would just, it's going to take some getting used to if they ever, they do go that route. So not necessarily going to happen this season, but Rob Manfred is pushing for it to cut down on the length of these games. Next up, 
The Yankees finally traded Sonny Gray. This has been in the works for a few weeks now. He really did not amount to what they had hoped for when they traded for him a few seasons ago. So now they ship him off to the Reds. He does get a contract extension good for three years and 30 and a half million. The Yankees recouped an infielder by the name of Shed Long, who they didn't hold on to for very long. They immediately shipped him off to the Seattle Mariners for a 21-year-old outfielder by the name of Josh Stowers. So there you have it. And then obviously the biggest, 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 biggest news of the week in the baseball world would be the Hall of Fame voting. And here's how it played out. So by now, you know, Mariano Rivera just became the first ever player to pick up 100% of the Hall of Fame votes. And He was one of four players selected to the Hall of Fame. This all went down on Tuesday. Okay, he was joined by Edgar Martinez, career DH for the Seattle Mariners. He this was his final year on the ballot. So so he had to get in on this shot or that was it. So congrats to him. Of course, the uh, late Roy Halladay, great pitcher for the Blue Jays and Phillies. And then former Orioles and Yankees pitcher, my man Moose. Mike Mussina made it as well. So those four guys. So congratulations to them. Um, It's really an unbelievable feat that Mariano Rivera becomes the first greatest closer of all time. I'm a Yankees fan, so nobody better in the business. By him getting 100% of the vote, just let me make this clear. Nobody is saying that Mariano Rivera or Mo is the greatest player of all time. Not even by a long shot. It's just that everybody that had a vote, there were 425 or something to that effect, every single one of those players elected him into the Hall of Fame. Nobody has ever done that before. And I listen, I expect he's not going to be the first. Listen, Derek Jeter is on the ballot next year, and he will most likely be a unanimous pick as well. So, And then, of course, you know the other guy, Mucina, he was another Yankee player, and it's interesting because um, he was torn, apparently, between wearing, rocking a Yankee hat or an Orioles hat on his Hall of Fame plaque there, but uh, he has finally made that decision, and he has chosen not to wear any cap whatsoever. Same thing with Roy Halladay. His family said both the Blue Jays and Phillies meant so much to him, so he won't have um, a a specific team as well. I'm a little perplexed by the Mucina thing. I know he played nine years with the Orioles, but come on. Everybody knows of him as a New York Yankee. He's won World Series here, 20-game winner. Come on. I mean, Mucina, really? And a funny, quick funny story. You know, it's not a big deal, whatever, but Funny story about Mike Mussina. He's a very humbled guy. Uh, <clears throat> but he was actually coaching. So he coaches a girls' high school basketball in his hometown in Pennsylvania. And he does it for $4,100. That's it. I mean, a former Major League Baseball player that made millions of dollars. And he coaches high school basketball for $4,100. And he actually got the phone call while he was at practice so that's that's pretty fun and cool there. And uh, Joe Torrey was on e, uh, ESPN Radio earlier in the week, 
and he said to compare the, to compare everything he tried because he man he was the uh, Yankees manager. He coached both Mariano Rivera and Mike Mussina. He said he tried calling Mariano Rivera after excuse me after he got elected, and of course he couldn't he couldn't get through. It went to voicemail, which he expected, but then he calls Mike Mussina, and Mike Mussina answers like on the first ring, and he's just like hello. And he's like, Moose, it's, you know, it's, it's Joe Torre and he's congratulating him and he's just funny, but that's the guy Mike Mussina is very humbled. You know, he, he, uh, yeah. And that's what allowed him to pitch so effectively. The big moment never really got to him and just a great, a great Yankee player. Both of these guys are, and I look forward to, like I said, seeing Derek Jeter next year. And then of course, I don't want to take anything away. Edgar Martinez, he, man, he was a hitter and I know Mariano Rivera joked that, um, you know, he was the reason that he got in because he had good numbers against Mo. But uh, and then, of course, Roy Halladay, unfortunate. He did pass away a few years ago. Not not that old or anything, but he had that plane crash in which he was uh, he was really, you know, he, he was trying to showboat and he was doing these flips and things and he lost control of the plane. And it's really sad, really unfortunate, um, but it's it's definitely deserved because he was a great pitcher threw a no hitter for the Phillies in the playoffs. I remember that, but so, uh, yeah, just, just, uh, congrats to that group of guys. Those four guys, of course, just really, really great group of guys. Nothing bad to say on any of them. And now we get back to some, uh, some signings that happened, some free agent signings. You have the Dodgers agreeing to a deal with outfielder AJ Pollock this is four years and 55 million so Pollock is a former gold glove winner and but he's just honestly he's been unable to to maintain his health really a slew of injuries over the past few seasons um when healthy though he can hit he's got some pop he's got some power so the Dodgers are hoping that he will help bolster that outfield core he that that he will be joining that includes Cody Bellinger Chris Taylor and Jock Peterson and obviously they were in the World Series last year for the second year in a row and hoping AJ Pollock can help bolster that outfield and um, help guide them to maybe a third straight World Series championship and then one more quick thing Uh, I just saw that Adam Ottavino, he signed with the Yankees. We all know that, obviously. And he wanted to wear number zero. And I might have reported on this. I don't remember a few weeks ago when he signed. But I remember Brian Cashman saying he didn't think that would be a problem with him wearing that number. Well, it was confirmed that he is going to wear it. I believe that the Steinbrenners um, had to be contacted or whatever. They made the final choice. But yeah, so he will wear number zero for the New York Yankees out of the bullpen in the upcoming 2019 season. Okay, now we can move along to the NFL and get into what I really want to talk about. But we start with Jim Kelly, obviously Hall of Famer, former quarterback of the Buffalo Bills. He is cancer-free once again, so I have to give him congratulations and hopefully it stays gone. I mean, he has really battled, 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 and battled some more. So I know he's a he's a fighter, and hopefully that damn cancer stays away finally once and for all. Okay, John Harbaugh, there had been speculation all season long whether John Harbaugh was going to be 
whether he was on the hot seat, whether he was going to be brought back, or whether he was going to be fired. And let me just tell you, the Joe Flacco injury couldn't have been better for John Harbaugh's career as the Ravens head coach. Because when when um, Flacco went down, that allowed them to put Lamar Jackson in, and they just rattled out win after win after win after win. And of course, they won the division, and they went to the playoffs, losing to the Chargers. But that got Harbaugh another four-year extension with the Ravens. So congrats to Harbaugh. And let's see, Harbaugh has won a Super Bowl with this Ravens team, and he has taken a quarterback in Joe Flacco out of the University of Delaware and turned him into a Super Bowl champ. And what Flacco did that year in 2012, when he went 11 touchdowns, no interceptions in the playoffs, one of the greatest runs ever, it allowed Flacco to get a $100 million contract, and it allowed John to beat his brother, Jim Harbaugh, in the Super Bowl. So yeah, Harbaugh, it's officially a four-year deal. And so yeah, the Ravens, they're not going anywhere. They will be playoff contenders for at least the next four years. Great coach Harbaugh is. The Eagles, let's talk about the Eagles and Nick Foles real quick. They made good on their promise. They gave Nick Foles that $1 million incentive that he would have earned had he played in 33% of the snaps. Well, he missed it by four snaps. So the Eagles decided, what the hell, let's give you your million dollars because quite frankly, we know Carson Wentz is our quarterback of the future. And although you helped us win a Super Bowl last year and took us on a run in the playoffs again this year, bye-bye. Here's your million dollars. Pack your stuff. See ya. And that's essentially what they're doing because we all know Nick Foles will be quarterbacking another team next year, whether it's the Broncos or the Jaguars or if somebody gets hurt and they need a fill-in or even maybe the Giants. Well, yeah, that's what's going to happen. Nick Foles is not coming back. The Eagles already made it known that Carson Wentz will be their quarterback of the future. So there you have that. All right, now we talk about the big thing here, the elephant in the room. That would be the Saints and the Rams game. Unbelievable. I don't know that I've ever seen a missed call as bad as this that had to that that with so much on the line a trip to the Super Bowl. And what I'm talking about is obviously the Roby Coleman non-pass interference call with a minute 49 seconds left that would have given the Saints a first down. Rams had no timeouts. The Saints would have been able to go knee, 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 field goal as time expires, win the game. I lost money on this game, first of all. Now, if they make that call, it's a push. I'll just get my money back. But that's better than losing. And what really bothers me is the fact that they have not come out and acknowledged this publicly. It drives me nuts. I understand it's not going to change anything. That's fine. But at least admit some responsibility and and tell us how you're going to make a difference and change this and get better for the future. Granted, the Saints blew their chances. They had a 13-0 lead early, and they had a turnover, but they had two possessions that they were not able to get the touchdown, and they had to settle for field goals. And shame on Sean Payton, because as good of a coach as he is, he's so frustrating because he gets in his head, I think, and he starts trotting out these, these, he starts, you know, trying to run these wild plays. And 
It just didn't work. Uh, uh, and they had a chance to really get, get this one out of reach in the first quarter. They could have been up 21-0 or so, and it would have just put it totally out of reach. But instead, you know, they don't make this call at the end on, on Roby Coleman, which he had two of them. There were two. That was the more blatant one. There was another one that they failed to call as well. And um, so Breeze, they kick, they end up settling for the field goal. It gives the Rams plenty of time. They go down and Zerline hits a, hits a long field goal, sends it to overtime and the Rams end up pulling it out. So here's just some highlights from that game here. Take a listen. The kick is good. Zerline clutch and with 15 seconds left, we're tied at 23. Breeze, protection breaks down, ball is up for grabs and caught, picked off by John Johnson. John Johnson on his back, hauls in the biggest interception of his young career. The kick is good. In the last two kicks have been right on the money in clutch pressure situations. Rams win it, and on to Super Bowl 53 they go. So yeah, there you have it. Zerline hit the 48-yarder to tie it, and then he hits a 57-yarder in overtime for the win, which was a, I think, playoff record. Um, Drew Brees, they got the ball to start overtime. I was feeling pretty good. He faced some pressure from um, Fowler, and he gets hit. His arm gets hit. He's looking for Michael Thomas. The ball is floating up in the air. Michael Thomas has no idea where it is, and John Johnson is able to make the catch on his back. And that's pretty much what did the Saints in. I would have, I would have loved for Michael Thomas. Granted, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But as that ball's up in the air and he has no idea where it is, he should have at least run to to John Johnson and tried to just blocked him out and make sure he doesn't catch the ball. But again, you know, that's you're in the moment of the play. You don't know what's going on. You don't know where the ball is. It's it's easy to say that from my couch, but. That would have been the best case scenario that that ball hits the ground and the Saints still can go down and win that game. But unfortunately, I nothing I can do about it. Saints fans from all over are boycotting this Super Bowl. Nobody wants to watch it. You have a car dealership owner who's been putting up billboard after billboard out and around the Atlanta Mercedes-Benz Stadium area about how the Saints got robbed and this and that. And there's one there's one bar slash restaurant I know in the New Orleans area that is saying that they will they're gonna refuse. They will not show the Super Bowl. Instead they're gonna show the Saints 2000, what was that? 2010, 2011, uh, 2011 I wanna say, Super Bowl victory on on replay. So yeah, not a lot of happy campers. And I, I find it funny that the Rams, even Roby Coleman are coming out and they're admitting that they knew Roby Coleman admitted he blew him up. He he knew he was pass interference. He just he got away with it, okay? And you know, you got Todd Gurley posting on Instagram, you know, a jersey swap with the referee, just a joke. Just a joke. They had to move the, the refs from this game from their downtown New Orleans hotel because of threats and and, and this and that. But something has to come of this, whether it's discipline on the refs, and I don't I, I don't know that I wanna really put the discipline on the rest because it was such a blatant miss. Yes, but there are missed calls that happen. How come this group didn't get together and determine, okay, let's huddle up. That was a penalty. Yes, we have to award this. 
Or why can't there be a replay? Like, that's what I want to come of this. I want there to be able... Now, listen, I don't know why anybody's talking about this. Nobody has said this. They're like, oh, give the coaches another challenge so that they could challenge a, a you know, a penalty pl- type of play or something, right? A judgment call. How about this? Well, duh. This was in the final two minutes of the game. Normally, when there's a play that happens in the final two minutes, it has to be initiated from the booth, right? A booth review. Well, do the same thing with this. It was the final two minutes of the game. Have the booth be allowed to to, to signal to the refs and take a look at a penalized or non-PI call or a judgment call as they as they want to say. Okay, that's that's what they should do. That should come of this. There should be a way that they're able to review or challenge or something a a contact injury, uh, excuse me, a, 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 a play that should result in a penalty flag that does or does not, or a pass interference call that shouldn't be pass interference that they could then go look at real quick and say, okay, no, that's, let's pick that up. Because oftentimes we see flags thrown, the refs huddle together, and then they decide, oh, nope, um, we're picking that up. No penalty for P.I., but yet they don't they they don't huddle up and say okay there should have been a penalty there and then throw the penalty it's just it really it drives me nuts that they in this day and age with all the technology continue to get it oh so wrong but that was the rams and the saints and we'll move on next up obviously was the night game the patriots and the chiefs and i won myself some nice money on this i took the patriots straight up to win this game and of course This game also went to overtime and the Patriots started with the ball in overtime and they went down and scored a touchdown. Third down conversion after third down conversion after third down conversion. It was quite spectacular and all anybody could talk about after this game was Tony Romo, the CBS CBS broadcast announcer and former NFL quarterback, obviously, of the Cowboys. I mean... if you if you don't like Romo and his ability to announce these games with Jim Nance, it's incredible. I'm going to play this for you and just listen to how good Romo is at calling these plays and predicting what the Patriots are going to do one play after another after another. He's able to see this, yet the Chiefs defense isn't able to see it. It's quite it's quite miraculous and quite incredible. Listen it. Oh, they're killing it. Usually means a motion and a run out wide to the right. If he's doubled, you're going to throw inside right here to Edelman. You just look up there and pick him. Here they come after Brady. He goes down the field to Gronk. Turns around, makes the catch. Gronk's not outside. you got to chip with him, chip with him, and throw to Edelman over the middle of the field. Pass down the middle. Gronk, Edelman holds on. Gronk is out wide. Watch the top of your screen. Watch this safety. If he comes down, there's a good chance he's throwing out there. It's Gronk. First down. New England tried to play action earlier. I can't see it here. This has to be a run. Second and goal to Burkhead. Burkhead to the end zone. Hello, Super Bowl. New England is heading back again for the third straight year. I do want to just say that as good as Roma was, this, besides the fact that I wanted the Patriots to win because I bet on them and whatever, fifth Super Bowl in the last six years, Okay, this game was so incredible. 
I'm not a fan of either of these teams, okay? I'm just a football fan sitting back watching this game. It had more ups and downs, more drama, more highs and lows than I can ever remember. It was incredible to watch as a football fan. Despite every anything else, the game was really, really awesome. There was no scoring in the first half. Pats up 14-0. Chiefs really came back in the second half, put up 24 on Bill Belichick's D in the fourth quarter, which sent this game to overtime. And it was so fun to watch and just watch just to see Tom Brady dissect that defense play after play in overtime was awesome. I, I, I just I hate the Patriots, but you've got to admire what Tom Brady does at his age, man. It, it was incredible to watch. So now we get the Patriots and the Rams in Super Bowl 53 one week uh, from today, next weekend, the third. And let me tell you, the Patriots, they are two and a half point favorites right now, which I love. I love the spread either way, but I do like the, the Patriots in this one. How can you bet against them after what we just saw? So um, I do like the Patriots. I like the experience. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, they're facing a young Rams, uh, young Rams team, Sean McVay, Jared Goff. Um, and I think... You know, as great of a season as the Rams are having, it's just going to come up short because the Patriots are that good. And keep in mind that Tom Brady, as a young guy himself, played in his first Super Bowl against, you guessed it, the then St. Louis Rams, and he won that game. So I think he will win this one as well. And then a cool little tidbit, a little nugget here for you that you probably didn't know is that Sean McVay, at 33 years old, or is he 33? I think he just turned 33. Youngest uh, coach in the Super Bowl ever. He's more than half the age of Bill Belichick. And also, Sean McVay was a wide receiver in college at Miami of Ohio. And he played against Julian Edelman when Julian Edelman was the quarterback of Kent State. So that's pretty cool there. So those guys are familiar with each other, and they're going to face off once again. And, um, so yeah, uh, what, what else did I want to say? Okay. Yes. The, uh, the Patriots, I like them by two and a half. That's the spread so far. I'm not going to lie. I do like the over, uh, the over is 56 and a half. And I really, really like that. I believe both of these teams, the Patriots really, their defense is not that great and neither is the Rams. So, but both of these offenses are incredible. So I look for this one to be somewhere around that game uh, in the 30s both teams I think I could see this being a 33 to 30 game 37 to 31 type of game like the like last week so I do believe it's going to be high scoring and then of course everybody loves the Super Bowl with all the prop bets and I'm actually loving I'm probably going to hit hit up uh, DraftKings or FanDuel and hit some of these prop bets I like uh, the coin toss I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I always, when I play Madden, I always go heads. So I'm going to put some money probably on heads and then the coin toss winner. I'm, I don't know. I'm thinking it's going to be the Patriots. I don't know why, but they have seemingly, they won the last two coin tosses from their last two games and elected to receive and have the ball to start the game. So I actually think that they're going to win this toss again, and I think it's going to be heads. So I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw some money on both of those. And there's some other cool prop bets, you know, how long's the national anthem going to be and all those other things. So yeah. Um, so that's the Super Bowl. That's the matchup Rams and Patriots. And it looks to be a good one next weekend, Sunday. That'll be the Feb, uh, February 3rd. Okay. So next up real quick, 
I just want to say that after that Chiefs loss, the they have decided to fire their defensive coordinator, Bob Sutton. And that really bothers me because I know they had the 31st ranked defense, but if they beat the Patriots and go to the Super Bowl, do you really think Bob Sutton is going to get fired? Absolutely not. So somebody had to take the fall for the Chiefs not winning this game, and unfortunately, it's Bob Sutton himself. And listen, Andy Reid, he didn't waste no time. Rex Ryan's name was floated out there as a possible replacement, but it was not Rex. Instead, it was former Giants defensive coordinator and most recently interim head coach for four games in 2017. And obviously, he was a head coach with the Rams years ago, which that was a disaster. So Steve Spagnola is the guy that Andy Reid has hired on to replace Bob Sutton as his new defensive coordinator. He had started his career under the tutelage of Andy Reid, so now he reunites with Reid there. And again, he was head coach of the Rams from 2009 to 2011. That did not go so well. Then he came back to work with the Giants, and he was there for a few years. And then next up, Larry Fitzgerald. He worked out another one-year deal to return for another season. So that's good for the Cardinals. And it's always good as a fan because Larry Fitz is one of the greatest wide receivers ever. Okay. I have got to talk real quick. This is the last thing. Uh, Well, not really, but I've got to talk about this article that if you didn't get a chance to watch it or to watch it, to read it, it's awesome. It is an article by done by ESPN on the culture of the Cleveland Browns organization. It is at, it's a really long article. It takes some time to read and get through, but it is it's incredible. So this talks about uh, Jimmy Haslam and how he took over this team in 2012 and just the up and down disaster that this has been and oh my god. So apparently according to this article, one of the takeaways was that at one point, a marketing staff member of the Cleveland Browns, they were trying to show like the fan response and, and the fan engagement that they were getting. So he projects onto the wall of the facility, of the offices, for everybody to hear. It was like broadcast radio. He types in hashtag DP, looking for dog pound, D-A-W-G, that's what they call uh, in Cleveland there. What do you think comes up instead? is a whole bunch of pornography that is just being broadcast on the screen for everybody in the facility to see and in the offices to look at. And for 20 minutes, it was up there until an IT guy had to come and basically kill the feed. So that's one thing. Unbelievable. And I actually tweeted about this, uh, which it was quite funny, I thought. And then... When Hugh Jackson was fired, John Dorsey and Jimmy Haslam came into his office, fired him. Hugh Jackson said, get the F out my office, which I also find hysterical because uh, you were just fired, dude. That's really not your office anymore. And even another incredible, you can't make this stuff up, first of all. So Jimmy Haslam apparently did not draft Teddy Bridgewater because he didn't like his handshake and instead he told the Browns that we're going to draft and he did Johnny Manziel who everybody knows is no longer in the league so incredible stuff I mean this article goes into more and more things um Jimmy Haslam he really 
he just fires guys left and right, GMs, and he never gives any explanation. Um, There's some guys that have been out of the league now after they were fired from the Browns and have yet to recover and land another job in the NFL. It's just incredible. He he basically, it's saying in the article that Jimmy Haslam will go around and he talks, he makes himself available to everyone. He'll talk to a wide receiver coach. He talks to pretty much anybody and he gives them their ear as if, Everything is confidential that they're saying, but then he'll just go back and he'll talk and he'll tell the other person that they were just talking about and he pits people against each other and then he agreed to go to he agrees to do one thing, but then on draft night he brings all his friends and family into the war room and he just decides to we're not doing what you said or you said, we're picking my guy. And it's just incredible the stuff that this guy has done as the owner. Um, and it's a really worthwhile article to go and read um, from ESPN, and I highly recommend it. Okay, and then last two things to report here is is that uh, Adam Vinatieri will be coming back for one more year. He's the oldest player in the NFL, obviously, has scored more points than anyone in the history of the game. And I expected as much because two weekends ago or whatever that was when they, they lost to the Chiefs in Kansas City, Adam Vinatieri had one of his worst games ever. He missed an extra point and a chip shot field goal, and I know he did not want to go out that way. So he will be back for one more season. And then got to talk about Cam Newton. He underwent arthroscopic shoulder surgery on his right throwing soldier shoulder. So this is a little problematic for the Panthers because you know, we've seen it. We've seen it before. Uh, Russ, uh, excuse me, Andrew Luck. He missed an entire season with a shoulder injury. And being that it's his throwing shoulder, it's even you know you want to be even more cautious. So keep in mind going forward what that will mean for the Carolina Panthers and their franchise quarterback because there's no timetable yet for his return. Obviously, very early on still, but you know. And then, of course, I've got to... So that's it for the NFL stuff. We're going to wrap this up shortly, actually. This is going to be one of the quicker episodes, which is nice. I have to give a shout-out to Mr. Tim Howard. He has announced that he will retire from professional soccer at the end of the 2019 MLS season. 121 U.S. national team appearances, including three World Cups, Tim Howard will go down in U.S. soccer history as one of the all-time greats, which says a lot given the country's knack for churning out great goalkeepers. And even cooler is that most people don't know this. Tim Howard went to my high school. How incredibly awesome is that, that I could say that I went to the same high school as Tim freaking Howard. In No doubt about it, the best goalkeeper in U.S. soccer history. I don't care what anybody says. I don't know that anyone would argue with me, but... Um, but yeah, he had those 121 apps for the U.S. men's national team. Incredible couple of World Cup runs. And he plays for the, I believe, the Colorado Rapids. Uh, yeah, so he's entering his fourth year with that with the Colorado Rapids of the MLS, and this will be his final season. He posted a record of 15 saves in a losing effort once against Belgium in the 2014 World Cup. Just unbelievable. And most of his career was played overseas in England for Manchester United and, of course, Everton. So, you know, kudos to you, Tim Howard. Incredible career 
and I hope retirement does you well. Good luck um, finishing out this season with the Rapids. Also, it is worth noting the NHL All-Star Game is on this weekend. It's NHL All-Star Weekend. What else did I want to talk about? Um, Excuse me. Uh, There's some college basketball on today. Of course, you've got the the, uh, Pro Bowl is on this weekend as well in the NFL, and they do all that fun stuff. There's probably all that cool stuff, um, the NFL uh, All-Star Weekend stuff that's going on, the Pro Bowl Weekend stuff. They do dodgeball, and they have like skills competitions, types of things like that. That's probably on today and tomorrow as well. I may tune in for the Pro Bowl tomorrow. I don't know. It's it's really the worst All-Star game of all the major sports. Real quick about the NHL All-Star Weekend, I did see that one of the teams... So there was a female, I'm really bad with hockey, I, I excuse me for this, but I did want to mention this. She became the first woman to ever participate in NHL All-Star Weekend, and it was an event where you race around the, around the, um, around the rink and, uh, you know, to see who has the fastest time. I, I wish I could remember her name, I'm sorry, but yeah, that's pretty cool. And so what else we have? We have, again, I said some NBA games on tonight. We've got the Spurs Pelicans, Pacers Grizzlies, Warriors and Celtics at 830 on ESPN. That should be a good game. The Sixers and Nuggets. And then the nightcap would be the Trailblazers and Hawks at 10 o'clock. All right. We are on our final segment. I'm going to leave you guys here. On this date in sports, got to give a big shout out. It is Vince Carter's birthday today. He was born on January 26th, 1977. Of course, it is also my sister's birthday, so can't wait to tell her that Vince Carter has the same birthday as her, even though she probably doesn't know who Vince Carter is. But listen, I'm going to leave you guys here with this compilation uh, audio of Vince Carter's best dunks of his career. One of the best dunkers of all time. He played for my my Nets, so uh, I'm a fan. And I will say this much. Vince Carter, in my opinion, his greatest dunk of all time was the Olympics when he dunked over a guy that was seven foot two. But anyway, here it is, guys. I'm going to leave you with that. I am going to salute you guys to the weekend. Enjoy your sports. I will catch you next weekend on the brink of Super Bowl 53. Have a good one, everybody. Stay safe. Have a good weekend. Insanity. It's electric. It's high flying. Everybody goes crazy. my legacy. I believe in myself. I believe in my game. Just said he just jumped over a 7-2 guy. Wow. Wow. Vince Carter 
It's a new chapter in my life. Oh, right hand. Thunder is dunk. Buzzing Carter. Carter taking to the rim. For me, I had a dunk bliss. All the great shot blockers. He jumped up over Tim Duncan. The corner. Vince Carter. And here is Sometimes he's still half man, half amazing. Vince, the fountain of youth. Carter. Oh, hey, he didn't give us the motorbike, did he? Come on now. 